Hi, welcome to POMCAST. Do you know, if you ever want to read more about what we talk on the podcast, maybe you missed a link or a reference to a yarn you didn't know, you can always go to the Pom Pom blog, which you can find at pompommag.com forward slash blog. And if you enjoy this podcast, which we hope you do, you can always leave a review and subscribe uh, via iTunes or SoundCloud or whichever magical podcatcher you use. And welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly. I'm Lydia Gluck and I'm here as I am on a monthly basis with Sophie Scott. Hi. Hello. How are Don't you? Don't think I ever said <laughs> hi like that. It was weird. <laughs> I enjoyed it. That was my morning TV presenter voice. <laughs> it's good. It's uh, welcoming in a new age of podcasting for us. Yeah. Um, Over the <laughs> hill of 50 episodes on 51. Exactly. So we have to come up with new highs. Mine will be introduced <laughs> next episode. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> um, so, how are you, Soph? What have you been right. up to? Uh, what have I been up to? Uh, you wrote down a note saying Matilda the Musical, which I didn't write, but that's what I, I did do. So obviously you want to talk about it. Well, okay. So for those of you, I feel like we should do a quick um, intro for people who haven't listened to this podcast before. We mostly talk about like knitting and crafts and pom-pom related things, but we also like to talk about activities we've done. And I went to see Matilda the Musical um, about six months ago, mm-hmm. maybe a bit less, and I loved it. And Sophie went to see it quite recently, and I realised today that we actually haven't talked about it since you saw it. I think I texted you. The, I texted you at the interval. I switched my phone back on and was like, "Oh my god, amazing!" <laughs> so that was the extent of our review, and uh, I'm sticking by it. <laughs> um, yes. Well, I had enjoyed it very much, so I wondered if you'd had any favourite bits or I did so well I suppose we say for people who don't know Matilda is a musical based on the book by Roald Dahl mm-hmm. the music is written by and the lyrics and the songs even is by Tim Minchant who is an Australian comedian who is very funny and sharp yes I think we can agree he is a funny man and yeah. he did a very good job with Matilda yes uh my favorite bit I'm gonna, gonna try and do it justice by the medium of my voice rather mm-hmm. than the the actors and dancers and singers who did it so Matilda goes to school and it's the first day of school and you know everyone's a bit nervous mm. and then the older kids are like they sing a song by basically it's terrible and just you wait till you start PE because that's the worst and the song relates to the moving of the set which like letters pop out of this like gate and then yes. can you imagine like the A pops out and then it's the word that begins with A in the song and it kind of goes to the entire alphabet and I was like Wow, that's just the attention to detail that you expect with Mr. Tim Minchin. Yeah, I felt like the whole um, production, the way they used the stage and the set was really clever um, and brought a lot to it. I think my favourite bit was right at the end when, I don't know about favourite, but a bit that really sticks in my mind. Wait, are you going to give away the best joke of the whole play? I don't think so, because all I just really enjoyed Mrs. Trunchbull on yeah. a little scooter. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Because everything had been so, like, it was sort of that thing where, like, by the end, I was so excited and everything was so brilliant and so funny. And that was just, like, the icing on the cake for seeing the Mrs. Trunchbull uh, person just scooting around on a scooter. (laughs) So I hope that didn't ruin anything for anyone. No, no, no. I think uh, mine was another bit, which I'm not going to say. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you it and we'll edit this out. So, of course, we also talk about knitting on this podcast. Uh, Welcome along. Welcome back. Uh, Welcome for the first time. Um, we hope that you come back if this is the first time we do yeah we will review other musicals in the future at some point hopefully <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a musical person normally 
I wouldn't go out my way, but the fact that it was Tim mentioned, I knew it would be zesty. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always uh, down for the zest. And for a pun, and I feel like there was a lot of good puns in that. <laughs> always got time for a pun. Uh, which you will find in this podcast, the puncast of Pun Pun Magazine. <laughs> pun Pun Quarterly, brought to you. Anyway, okay, so... Um, so should we do some news? Some news, yeah. News about the magazine, which you probably know. It's not breaking news, but it is exciting. Is the fact that issue 25 is now live. It's on the shelves. It's landing on your doorsteps. It's uh, in digital format on your iPad or other tablet-based uh, electronics that you use. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. It certainly is. And uh, we probably talked about this in previous podcasts, but the theme of issue 25, which is our summer issue, is stripes. Stripes. You love them. We love them. We put them in a magazine. <laughs> um, yeah. So all of the knits in issue 25 are stripey. Mm-hmm. Big surprise. Um, but we did ask our designers to use stripes in imaginative and unusual ways. And oh boy, did they deliver. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, so I don't know. Do you want to have a little look? Yeah. Choose some faves. It's hard to choose faves. But before we open the mag. Uh, You've got to look at that cover. You've got to look at the cover. Uh, I think this is one of my favorite covers we've done. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it's Megan's favorite one um but there's another change that's on the cover that you may have noticed or you might have seen our post about it uh we had the wonderful Anna Maltz write uh, a very lovely um bit of copy about a big change which is the price increase so pom-pom used to be £9.50 which is the price that we set when we first started the magazine in 2012 which is you know six years ago um and we decided that we would raise the price to £12.50 for all sorts of reasons. Um, running a magazine has become more expensive. Um, and so we need to pay nice people to do wonderful things like design for us and write for us and work for us. Um, you know, we have our full-time staff who are incredible and do such a good job and deserve to be compensated for this incredible job. Um, we needed a bigger space to store all the boxes of magazines that we have um, to send to you lovely people. Um, yeah, so it's all the usual kind of stuff. Um, after six years, things are just a bit more expensive than they were. And also we feel that the magazine, you know, the people who contribute to it, um, they deserve to be, you know, compensated as much as they can be, really. Uh, the knitting design industry is not necessarily the most lucrative. Um, but we hope to be moving it towards a more lucrative direction. And we all, you know, we make sure that we print the magazine in the UK with an eco-friendly printer, all these sorts of things. And we really hope that you agree with us that it's worth the new price. This might not be new news to some of you because we have, you know, sent out newsletters and there's been uh, posts on our blog and on social as well. Um, so this was pretty much a month ago that mm-hmm. we made this announcement. And I suppose now we should say that the response has been wonderful the people's uh, everyone's support um your understanding the fact that we're supporting independent designers and makers as an independent magazine and it's just um yeah thanks for everyone for being so supportive of what a decision is you know not always the nicest making things uh, a different price yeah of course yeah like yeah you, i couldn't have said it better it's really lovely to know that um that people want to support us still and we're really happy to have you all and now we open the cool magazine. Hey. <laughs> I'm going to do some. Oh, oh fresh. To that. <laughs> that magazine. Okay. So. Uh, uh, forest uh, responsibly sourced paper. Can exactly. You, you can really hear the difference. Um, okay. So I think. 
think... Well, you've already started making something. I was going to say, yeah. So we also have Tell and Tell. uh, And I have already started Tarmac, which is by Anna Maltz. Uh, Anna's got two mentions this podcast already. (laughs) uh, Which is like a very simple... um, A little bit like a... Would you say that's a trapeze shape? Yeah, it's kind of A. Like A-line? Yep. So it's got nice little um, stripes. And uh, as you know, as is the theme... A <laughs> uh, little eyelet detail along the edges, and also she's got this great eye cord bind off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started that, and you start sort of at the top doing two little straps. So I have these weird little triangles at the moment that I've made, which look uh, very underwhelming. But <laughs> I know that uh, I'm pretty excited about it. It's feeling like a good kind of travel project. Mm. The only thing is that I'm having to untwist my yarns and drink stripes, but uh, I feel I should come up with some better methods along the way. You know what? In the Muhu Island book, yeah. There's a, a really wonderful hardback book that's... I can't remember the proper title. I'll, I'll check it later. Uh, it's called, like, The Knitting and Embroidery of Muhu Island. Mm. Something like that. It's a bright pink book. I will post a link on blog. In there, I seem to remember there being a, a handy little tip for untwisting um, such things. All right. Well, we'll read it and we'll put it on the podcast. We'll... Or we'll talk about it next <laughs> one. So. We'll get back to you. Yeah. So if you can report whether it works or not. Definitely. Um, so yeah, Tarmac's definitely a favourite for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you? Well, it's also a fave for me. Um, I love a stripy top. Big surprise. Yes. <laughs> well, don't worry about running out of them in this issue. Um, but I like this one a lot. I like how um, kind of breezy it is because mm-hmm. it is quite loose. Um, and it suits my kind of summery wardrobe. I can imagine wearing it with a, a floofy skirt, mm-hmm. um, which is my main requirement yep. for a top. Um, other faves include the uh, project bags that we have in here. Oh, they're really the Judoka fun. Judoka bags. They're basically like um, little knot bags, yeah, um, but knitted. I think it's the thing which we've come across before. It's beautiful because it's so simple. It's based on traditional like Japanese knot bags that you get to like wrap up your little bento boxes or whatever. And the fact that it's knitted, you put your knitted things inside the little knitted bag. Oh, mm. oh love so it. So many layers. I also really like Doville, which is uh, by Tina Tse. Mm-hmm. I hope I've pronounced your surname right, Tina. Um, and it's, again, a stripy top. Right. Very Surprise, simple. yeah. Um, the version in the magazine is in uh, Wool and Megang, shiny, happy cotton, which comes in really fun colours. And it's not the thinnest yarn, so I think knit up pretty quick. Um, but it's got a kind of cool illusion effect stripe because um, on each stripe, well, there's so there's horizontal colour stripes and then vertical stripes of stockinette and garter stitch sneaky stripe surprise (laughs) you think you've got seen them all bam there's another one (laughs) exactly so i think um that's on high on the two knit list yes well i have one which isn't really on the two knit list but i have you know you have those aspirational projects Mm. which is just like oh one day i'll probably do that Mm -hmm. um i really love the macklin shawl ah yes uh who's by suzanne sommer and i think the beauty in that because it's a little brioche number and i've tried a bit of brioche but you know what it's not what my needles hanker for uh-huh. mm-hmm. but I love the colour she used it's the Madeleine Tosh Merino Light and there's just this like peachy colour and I think it's calligraphy it's mm-hmm. like a warm kind of grey yellowy cream mm-hmm. and a bit of grey and I just think it's so beautiful it is like the sky in the summer like when it's changing and I don't know it's everything that sure should be but you know what realistically I don't think I'm going to knit it because I'm not a fan of brioche but I can like look at it and think you're going in the faves on the queue on wrap you know what i mean yeah i do know what you mean i'm not talking it down i'm talking it up yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) well you know the um 
like when it comes to knitting stuff, there are some things like brioche, for example, that some people just like, it clicks. Right. They just love it. Works really well. My one like that is maybe like moss stitch. I know that's not a particular. Oh, see, I, I love, love moss stitch. I love moss stitch. Anyway, I don't know what that really means, but uh, <laughs> you can like a thing a lot and not make it. Yeah. It's okay. I think the color combination, therefore, is more inspiring for maybe another project mm. one day. Yeah, yeah, you could use those colors to make a different pattern for yeah. them, for example. So you've got your fun patterns. And if you want to see uh, what we've been talking about, obviously, you've got the links on the blog. Mm-hmm. Um, also, of course, all the patterns on Ravelry, so mm-hmm. you can see them there. You can get your copy in the online shop, which is uh, pompommag.com forward slash shop, who would think? <laughs> and uh, also in there, of course, we've got our articles. There's animals again, Hannah, ooh, she's again, <laughs> talking about uh, stripes in nature mm-hmm. and the use of pattern in textiles. Uh, Chris uh, Watson O'Neill has written a very, well, a very funny, but also very thought-provoking and beautiful article about how he swapped uh, wine glasses for knitting needles. Yeah, and it's a story, I think, that um, will not be unfamiliar to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think most of us will know somebody in our knitting world, knitting circle, who uh, used knitting to help them overcome something in Mm -hmm. some way. That could be an addiction or some other thing. But we're really, really happy that Chris shared his story and made it fun. Of course, we've also got a fabulous tutorial by the London Loom ladies Mm -hmm. um, for a little weaving patch. Uh, a patch which you've woven which you put in jeans yeah I know and you know if you were like I want to try some weaving but I don't really know what to make and if I make something small what am I going to do with it well we've solved that problem you're going to make a cool patch very true and of course we had fun with the London Loom ladies and with you guys at our summer knit night um, which was 8th of May (laughs) because we came up with that (laughs) cool saying so yeah that was a fun night thanks for everyone who came it was a small collection but a good collection of people Yes, it was very lovely. Thank you all. Um, okay, so should we do some more telling and telling? Indeed. Well, I was going to say with the final news bit, we've uh, moved yes. studios, remember? Oh, yeah! We're now in the new studio, uh, which is very good. We now have a mustard wall, which is painted. <laughs> That's not like we spilled some condiments. <laughs> yes, we do have a mustard wall. It's basically my signature. Any room that I spend enough time in uh, has the walls painted a very particular shade of mustard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've put up a few things. We're still not really finished, I would say. Well, you know. Shelves. It's looking pretty good. There's some shelves. Um, all your issue 25 copies shipped from here. And uh, personally, we found it very streamlined. So that's good. <laughs> Just a little admin note for you guys. And you're like, mm, good. I'm glad to know that the envelopes were streamlined. <laughs> if you want to join in with any of the pom-pom fun, um, you can always check out our knit-alongs on Ravelry. Of course, we have the summer knit-along, which will start now, so you can enter any project that you haven't entered into a knit-along already, and that could be from Take Heart, could be from Wool Journey, um, issue 25, any of the back issues. If you're doing knitting outside the box, remember there's a dedicated knitting outside the box knit-along, and you'll find that on Ravelry as well. You mean there's a special box for knitting outside Indeed, the box? Yes. <laughs> Tell and tell. I feel like we should talk more about the uh, things we've been knitting. So I'm doing a bit of tarmac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I finished my kipper socks and my boom tank, which I was talking about last episode, which I think is boom! a very high success rate for talking about something that I'm going to finish. And then actually next podcast being like, hey, it's done. No, well done. You were wearing your boom tank the other day. I was. And it was very bright. 
Indeed. And very, very nice. I'm very happy about it. I went to a party mm. that night and they were like, hey, did you make it? And I was like, yeah, of course I did. And they're like, great, Sweet. can you make me one? And I was like, oh. no. <laughs> Haven't caught the concept yet of how long this took me. <laughs> you know what I always say when people say that? Because for ages, and I am sure almost everyone listening to this podcast has experienced this, with varying degrees of irritation, because sometimes you're like, ha, 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 no. And sometimes you're like, no. Um, because it seems to be like the sort of go-to reflex response mm. for people who are, aren't um, crafty in the material sense. Yeah. I'm sure they do other crafty things, but they maybe don't uh, make things out of fabric or similar. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so someone says to you, so you say to me, oh, hey, did you make that? Let's do some Oh, hey, play. did you? Oh, wow, look at that. Where did you get it from? Oh, I, I made it. What? Oh, can you make me one? You know what? I can't make you one, but I can teach you to knit if you want. But that will take so long. I need it now. <laughs> and that's the point where you walk away. <laughs> yeah, that's my current response is offering to teach people. Yeah, I think I just was a bit tired. I, yeah, just, fair I ended up just smiling. Yeah. I think it's there an illustrator. I think they understand the, you know, the price and cost of making a thing. But yeah. they don't still. <laughs> Be like, sure, give me a grand. Hey, don't come for free. <laughs> Um, okay, so you've done well with your finishing of things. I'm feeling good. Oh, and I've started Tarmac and I've started Vara, which is a classic tea from issue 17. Sure is. I made one of those a couple of years ago. And in fact, I was wearing it. You were wearing it the day. Yeah. And day. <laughs> I was wearing it the day and then I continued to wear it in the night. Yes, as is the custom. And somebody asked me if I'd made it, but yeah. they didn't ask me if I could make them a thing. So mm. the conversation went really well. Good. <laughs> it was positive vibes all around. Nice. Anything else you're up to? Well, so I have been, I'm still working on my soiree. Mm-hmm. I probably mentioned that. I don't know why it's taking me so long. I've got very little. This seems to happen to me a lot. It's like I get to 85% finished and just back off for some reason. It's when I find it uh, happens to me a lot when I'm like, I think I might want to do something different to this or like tweak the pattern or I need to do the difficult bit like grafting. Yeah. And then you've got to, got to do it then. You've got to bite the bullet and do it straight away. Eat the frog. Eat that frog. Yeah, I need to eat the frog. So maybe I'll eat a frog this weekend. But in the meantime, I have a, a mostly finished uh, soiree jumper. Um, I am planning to make a tarmac. I've got the shade cards for um, Holst Garn's Coast, mm. which is a lovely cotton and linen blend, nice. um, which has many, many colours to choose from, which is now what's slowing me down with that because I can't decide on a colour combination. I thought I'd do a colour combination inspired by a rug that we have in the studio. Oh, yeah. But uh, that, for some reason, hasn't really sped things up. Hi, rug. We just had a look at it. Like. <laughs> we both looked at the rug. Hello. Still there. <laughs> um, uh, I've been doing a bit of sewing, though. Very good. I made another trapeze dress mm-hmm. with my slightly altered pattern that Juju helped me put a keyhole in the back of the dress. It's a Merchant and Mills pattern originally. It is, indeed. Mm-hmm. And this will be the fourth one I've made. Oh, cool quite a lot really and planning a few other sewing projects decided to make myself a coat very cavalier oh, fun yeah yep again with cavalier a <laughs> yes <laughs> with a merchant and mills pattern so uh so that's my telling and telling fun well of course you can share what you're knitting we love to see on the ravelry forums as we mentioned beforehand if you're a social media type of person then you can tag your projects at pom pom mag mm-hmm. you can also hashtag them if you're into that you can go hashtag pom project or hashtag PPQ summer of stitching. Mm-hmm. That's quite fun one we've got for the summer issue. But also, can I just say that summer knitting wise, mm-hmm. I think that we have smashed it. I think every year we do a really good job. But I have to say, you know, lots of people are very skeptical about summer summer knitting. Mm-hmm. Not us. We think it's brilliant. And especially because there are so many great cottony yarns, linen yarns, yep. silky yarns. 
Um, so we're especially interested in seeing those guys. Indeed. And if you're not sure what's in it, check out issue 25. to reviews we have some delicious yarn from bar ram you we certainly do i am holding it in my hand i am also holding it for we have two and the reason we have two is because we have two colors why not do some color work (laughs) that is most likely what will happen to these yes and just looking at the label we can see that this yarn is 100 percent british and is spun in yorkshire well that's very nice because bar ram you of course are a champion of uh, british breeds they're based in yorkshire and this is spun and dyed in yorkshire so that's nice. Very much that's like nice. me. <laughs> From Yorkshire. Also, I'm nice. Um, <laughs> and colourful. And colourful. So the colours we've got here, we've got um, Endeavour and Brass Band. Brass Band is a great golden colour. Like, I feel like that's a good go-to. Ah, oh, it's a staple. It's almost the colour of our walls. It is, yeah. <laughs> Wait, where did it go? <laughs> I held it up to the wall for those of you who uh, didn't get that. And we've got Endeavour, which is a classic navy um, the reason I love this yarn is for colour work, you've got, you want a grabby yarn. You know you what do. I'm talking about? You want what we call a woolly wool. You want it to be like, uh, like Velcro. Yes. <laughs> so the little swatch we've done, um, we, uh, just had a little play around with different, uh, combinations of, uh, Feral colour work mm-hmm. for this. Mm-hmm. And it is, there's just that lovely grip that you need with a yarn like this. Uh, nice subtle halo. Mm-hmm. Again, not too itchy, probably... You know, not not something you want to go next to the skin for a baby, but something that has like a soft handle to it that I like. Definitely, yeah. And it's got a really nice, uh, like it blooms really beautifully. Mm-hmm. Nice bloomy quality. Um, Blooming lovely. <laughs> um, and we noticed that Rachel Coopy has used this yarn for her Toasty Three mm-hmm. ebook, which is four hats, and there's some great color work there. Nice. So, a little note from Baram Yu. They say, like all their yarns, it's a beautiful handle. We agree. Soft and squishy, yet with enough grip to bind the shades together. Uh, they have 15 shades from the signature Baram Yu palette, if you will. Um, we've got two of them here. And uh, they all blend together really nicely. And with these 25 gram balls, you know, that's what you need for colorworks. You need lots of little colors. Uh, they've got some great neutrals, some lovely greys, and then like brass band, I'd have to say, would be a favourite, that great mustard. Definitely. I'm just looking at it. I was looking at the, um, we've got our little shade card, looking at the names earlier. I particularly like Viking. That's oh, a fun name. That's a good one. Like nice orange. Nice orange colour. Nicely Bob. What is that? Don't know what that is, but I like it. It's good. <laughs> it's a good red. <laughs> it is. Um, Bantam. That's a bit more, uh, uh, I, I feel like I got that one. Bantam. Which one's that? That's a nice kind of oxblood kind of colour. Yes, very nice. Is that like the hen? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's <laughs> uh, yes. <This> going well. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Also, can I just say, nice stripes on this shade card. Oh, yeah. that summer issue. Just to tie in the theme. <laughs> um, so just to finish off with one final factoid about uh, Pip colourwork yarn. Do you know why it is called Pip? Uh, I do not. Because Yan Tan Tethera, which is a me- method of sheep counting. Sheep counting. So Yan is one, Tan is two, Tether is three, and Mether is four, and Pip is uh, their fifth Baram Yu yarn. Ooh. So it's called Pip, which I think is rather charming. That's very nice. I want to learn that. Yan Tan Tether Mether Pip. Well done. Well, <laughs> full of factoids this episode. <laughs> we certainly are. 
Um, yeah, so we think if you want to do some colour work or not, I mean, you could also not do colour work, but I mean, you probably, I don't know, I feel like you'd get more out of it if yeah. you did. Uh, then give this yarn a go. So yeah, it's uh, Baram U Pip Colour Work. You can check it out on the Baram U website. So for an interview this month, we are talking with Pam Allen. Does she need an introduction? I mean, probably not, but we should do one just for the sake of consistency. <laughs> Always like that. Who needs no introduction? <laughs> uh, and I, when I say we, it is the royal we because uh, Megan Fernandez, our US correspondent, is <laughs> chatting to Pam Allen, who is the founder of Quince and Co. She is, and she is also a woman who has the names of both of Amy, Amy's parents. <laughs> that's the Pam kind of and it, Allen. That's the kind of introduction <laughs> she wants, I'm sure. Um, yeah, a huge range of yarns, uh, many of which we have used. And in fact, in our summer issue, we have used one of them for the Nazarene top. Mm-hmm. Um, the Willet, yes. The Willet, indeed. Um, yeah, so you're probably right that most people are familiar. And thank you to Pam for talking to Megan. Excited to have you on the podcast, Pam. So delighted to be here. <laughs> Great. Can you tell us a little bit about where you are right now? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, I'm in one of my favorite spots in Maine. I'm in a little town called Freiburg, which is very far north in the White Mountains on the border of New Hampshire. And um, we are in the tail end of an ice storm. Um, the power is back on, but it's still very, very icy. And um, and it's just absolutely stunning because the sun is out and sort of making, you know, prisms on all of the branches. So oh. I'm enjoying it through the window. Wonderful. And your, your electricity had gone out yesterday, so I'm sure you're glad to have all your amenities back and working again when it's so cold outside. Very much. I love to have light and I like <laughs> it when my coffee maker works. So this is good. I can understand that. Um, so we're so excited to have you on the, on the podcast. We've been big fans of yours for a long time. Um, Lydia and I, when we started Pom Pom, uh, were working at Loop in London. And I can remember, oh, yeah. Yeah. I can remember when we got Quince, uh, yarns in stock in the shop and it was so exciting. Um, and so how long has it been now since the beginning of Quince? Well, it's easy to date because we, um, this we launched on July 7th of 2010, but we really started on January 1st of 2010. So this, um, this summer will be eight years. It just doesn't seem wow. possible. And I, I just have to comment. I just have to say that when Luke ordered yarn from us, I just, I thought, wow, we've made it. It's <laughs> a mutual excitement. I was thrilled <laughs> selling yarn in London. I couldn't wait to tell everyone. So. Yes. Um, and a big moment for us. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, Susan, who owns Loop, has played a big part in a lot of knitting businesses, histories, uh, including, um, my own. So, uh, I can totally understand that. And of course, she was the first store to stock pom pom. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> not quite the same thing, but yeah. But yeah, I can totally understand that. 
So it's been eight years. I'm sure at the beginning, like having started a, a business myself, um, we did everything ourselves, Lydia and I. Um, but I'm um, sure eight years yeah. on, it, it looks a little bit different for you, right? It, it does look a little bit different. And just to go back to eight years ago, I just have to say the day we launched on July 7th, 2010, I still didn't understand. No one quite understood what it would be like when we got an order online. <laughs> and um, so we went and, and we launched. And um, and then we had to go to Starbucks where they had Internet because we didn't have Internet <laughs> in the place that we actually were to see if we had any orders. It was very exciting. And then, of course, um, it was very hands-on packing everything. Every, you know, we wanted the boxes to be perfect, so we had all these like little postcards to go in. Every every order was handpicked and and very carefully put together. But those days, um, you know, by August we were getting some help with that, and and shortly after that we, um, you know, we were hiring staff. So today, yes, it looks very different today. Um, I think um, really started with two or three people, and now I think there's about 17. Um, A lot of those are, yeah, I know, I know, it's really amazing. And actually, my son, um, my son owns it now. Um, I, in 2012, he was finishing graduate school and kind of looking around for work, and I, at that point, we were just selling yarn online. We weren't selling the stores, but we had so many stores that wanted yarn. And, um, you know, the only, my real reservation about selling only online was that we weren't supporting stores. And I, stores are a huge part of the craft because they pass on the techniques and the skills. But if you make a product in this country, like yarn, uh, it's much more expensive than it is to make it in other parts of the world. And so the only way to really make it a viable business was to sell directly to the knitter. Anyway, so here was this juggernaut. I wanted to be able to sell to stores, but we hadn't set up our pricing in order to do that. So um, I asked my son if he could come and figure it out, and he did. And um, and he stayed on, and um, <laughs> I'm sure he never intended to be in the yarn business. I can pretty much tell you that for sure, but here he is. And um, it, it's wonderful. Um, Layla Robb has become creative director, and um, it's really wonderful for me to watch these two work together because a business depends... Uh, you know, as you know, uh, with pom pom, you there the creative side, the fun side, but that isn't the that's just a, that's a part of it. Yeah. But there's got to be someone who looks at the numbers and thinks things through in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And what's wonderful is when two people, um, you know, with different skills, but can really communicate and sort of enrich each other's perspective. Um, you know, this has been kind of a wonderful thing I've seen working with Ryan because I've had to wake up and look at some things a little differently than I did before when I was just playing. Yes. Um, <laughs> colors kind of thing, you know? Yes. <laughs> oh, yep. yeah. Oh, yeah. We have to figure the taxes out. So, um, so, so, yeah. So those are the sort of, well, I can't say key players. Everyone is a key player, but, um, but yeah. So we have more people working for us. That's great. Yes. Um, and that's the same with, Pom pom, but on a on a smaller scale. I wish I had a son that could do all my business <laughs> work for me. But right yeah, now, <laughs> I don't think my eighteen month old is going to be much use 
right now, but maybe one day. But speaking of your children, you also have a very talented daughter. Is that right? I have a daughter. Yeah. I have a very talented daughter. A yes. lovely daughter. Yes. yes. Who, um, uh, yeah. So who, um, is very familiar with sweaters. She <laughs> modeled a lot of them in her younger days. Now oh. she won't allow me to go near her with the camera. But, um, what I love, I love it. I love it when she calls and says, Mama, can you get me a sweater? And I mean, it's just, I love that. So, oh, yes. Um, no, I finished a sweater for yeah. my daughter this morning and put it on her and she didn't beg to take it off right away. So that was, that was fantastic. So but, this is good. Yes. And I was having a look around on your Ravelry page of your designs in the past um, and some of your very early work for, I think it was Family Circle is the oldest one that comes up and it looks so different to your mm-hmm. yeah. aesthetic now. <laughs> Um, yeah, how do you, yeah. how do you think you've evolved over the years and, and what's changed for you? It's a really good question. And I'm, I'm very aware of a certain evolution. I wouldn't call it evolution. I would call it, um, when you get older, you downsize, you do get rid of things. And, um, I think in terms of designing, I have just gotten rid of things. It, you know, I would challenge myself to do, you know, I just, when I started designing, I loved playing with stitch patterns and shaping and trims and techniques, and I used a lot of that. And there was far more of that back in the earth, back in the well, gee, a million years ago. It was probably the eighties, eighties, nineties. Um, and um, and you know, I became aware as I knitted that I was really knitting patterns. I was knitting sweaters, but they were going to be knitted by other people. And I know from my own experience as a knitter working people's patterns, how often what I knitted, this didn't turn out the way the pattern um, looked, and especially picking up edgings, that kind of thing. And people would come over because I was the knitter in town, right? So I told changes and knock on my door and say, can you help me with this? And it was always a pattern problem. It was, um, you know, gauge or some, you know, the sleeves weren't fitting in or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I just decided at one point, it was just a courtesy to the knitter, the person I really was designing for, to think about the success of their project. Yeah. And the simpler your sweater is, the, 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 the better guarantee you'll have that that person isn't going to have a lot of problems. Right. So I do now try to think about that. And, um, you know, when there are borders to pick up on something, you know, I do try to make a note that, you know, you know, here we suggest these numbers, but really, you know, everybody knits differently. And it's not just a matter of gauge. It's just they just knit differently. The fabric is different. And, and I know that sounds strange, but um, when I had people knitting for me, um, two knitters could get the same gauge if you just lay their little swatch out flat. But one person's swatch would be a lot stretchier than the other. There's mm. a lot more yarn in it. So it's it's very subtle, but everyone has a different... They just end up with a different... Yeah, thing. it's like handwriting. Um, you know, you write the same words, but... Yes! Yeah. yeah. Exactly that. It's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. So for people who are doing a pattern, they need to sort of be able to sort of understand their own knitting and at least have the confidence to change things to get to the desired result. So, so anyway, I have pared down a lot. Mm-hmm. Also, another another reason that I did that was, um, I, I was um, I would meet so many young women who or older women who um, 
couldn't it? They knew how, and they had it one time, but they didn't. They didn't make it part of their life. And whenever we would talk, um, they would often say, you know, I can knit a scarf, but, you know, I bought a pattern, and I never, I just couldn't figure it out. I just couldn't, I gave up. I'm not a knitter. Mm-hmm. And so when I started Quince, I really did want to try and, and design things for people who knew how to knit, but they didn't. And just to make them... Uh, make things that would be really wearable and simple and that people who were scarf knitters could actually, you know, yeah. could actually knit and well, wear. Yeah, there's really only two stitches and it's just how you put them together that makes the difference. So yeah, everybody, you know, when I encounter beginner knitters, I say, of course you can do that. You just have, it's the same stitches. You just have to do slightly different things every now and then. But so that certainly brings us to your new book, which is plain and simple, which pretty much explains (laughs) itself, but, um, but they're so beautiful. And I, and you know, when we're looking for designs in pom-pom, for example, I really love it when there are designs yeah, they look simple, but there's just that one thing that makes it stand out. Um, so is that kind of what you were going for with Plain and Simple? Um, yeah, it actually didn't start out as a book. And um, I really wanted to knit um, a particular sweater, and there's the one that's really, really, really wide with um, a half brioche border. I was just going to knit that sweater. Mm-hmm. But I loved it so much. And I all of the sweaters there in, this, in our yarn owl, which is a half alpaca half wool yarn, which mm-hmm. I just adore. It's wool and spun. So unlike a lot of alpaca wool yarns, it's very buoyant. It does not hang down. It has so much air and loft in it. You just can't make a bad sweater in it. And um, so it was, a, it was it's a great yarn to make sort of oversized, you know, sort of cozy sweaters in because it doesn't hang down and get heavy. It's, it's just mm. you feel like you're wearing air. So I made the first one. And then I, there were, I had a couple of other ideas, so I did those. And then somebody said, why don't we just do a little collection? And I followed that. So um, I added some other things to it. So they are very simple. Um, but there is a technique that I um, used a lot in that book. And it's um, they are seamless sweaters, but they are not the standard start-at-the-neck raglan mm-hmm. or start-at-the-neck sweaters. They start at the bottom, and they go to the armhole. And... You know, drop shoulder sweaters are very easy to knit, but they're like a rectangle and you just add this square. They're very blocky. Mm-hmm. And I don't like them because they're always kind of clunky around the shoulder. And your shoulder seam sort of ends up wherever your side seam is. So mm-hmm. it's just, and then whenever you lift your arm, the whole sweater lifts because the, the arm hole is really connected to the side seam. And, um, so I began adding stitches when I got to the armhole. I would knit up to the armhole, and then I would cast on one or two or so stitches on each side and knit up from there and then angle the shoulder and front and back. And then I had a sweater that kind of like a dolman, only it's not a deep dolman. It's, it's a very graceful line under the, there's not a lot of fabric under the armhole. But then you pick up stitches around that. I, I don't know how, you know, I'm visualizing this. I'm not sure how easy it is. But, <laughs> um, you pick up stitches around the armhole, which is further down the arm and smaller, and then you knit down to the cuff so you can make the sleeve. You know, you can kind of tailor it the length that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's seamless in that way. And um, I just fell in love with the silhouette, the way it looked. It was very graceful. It wasn't clunky like a drop sleeve sweater or even one where you kind of notch in just the armhole and and the um it allows the person's shoulder 
to give dimension because the fabric, which what's wonderful about knitted fabric, right, is it stretches it and gives. It's very graceful. So the fabric on the shoulder just drapes over the shoulder and then the seam is further down the arm and barely visible, really. And, um, I, you know, I just, I thought, oh, this is so much fun. So they, most of the sweaters in there, there are a couple of round yoke sweaters, but the rest yeah. um, sort of follow this plan. Well, see, I think that will make um, the patterns really interesting for more seasoned knitters to knit as well, you know, because sometimes I feel like knitting trends are kind of driven by techniques that become popular. Um, so sort of what's fashionable yeah. in the knitting world um, is not as fashionable in the rest of the world. And so we're kind of driven by these techniques. So doing a technique um, that's fun and interesting and new combined with something that's super wearable sounds just perfect. And that's one other thing about a really simple plain sweater is it, the fewer details you have, the more the, it's kind of like cooking, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> really great ingredients. You don't need a lot of spices or anything. Yeah. So a really simple sweater, the, the, um, the, the yarn really becomes the focal point, but also the fit, the way it's, um, you know, that, that shape of the sweater is much more of an element because it's, you're not distracted from that. So this technique, the structure, really allows these sweaters to be plain and simple, but also kind of um, elegant in their own way. Yeah. Um, so I usually leave this question for, for last, but I'll do it in the middle of the interview this time because we were talking about owl. But um, we always ask our guests what their desert island yarn would be. So if you were stranded forever and you had to choose one yarn to have with you for the, and it's, and you can choose the climate on your island. Um, yes. <laughs> what would you go for? Well, put me on Iceland. Okay. okay. And then give me owl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> give me a cold, a cold Island and a lot of owl. <laughs> we had so, guessed that you would say owl. Even after all these letters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love all of the, you know, whatever I'm knitting with becomes my favorite, but I, I just do have a thing about owl. You know, whenever I see it, I have to pick it up. Oh, it's, I'm walking by a skate and I just have to touch it. It's beautiful. And, you know, it feels beautiful, but also the alpaca uh, natural colors that come through in the colors is is gorgeous too. So um, we love it. Um, I live in Austin, Texas now. I used to be in London where um, it was much better for knitting weather, although it's very cold here today. Um, but I appreciate that Clint's has so many summery yarns. And I especially yeah. love Willet. And also, uh -huh. I love that you are using Texas mohair. So if you could tell us a little bit about um, your summery yarns and maybe your mohair yarn as well, I'd love that. Um, okay, and so prepare yourself because I could talk for hours. Great, great. Um, <laughs> I'll, well, I'll try to. I'll try to give you the short version. Um, very few people know this, and I didn't know it, um, but I now know it. And that is that um, as recently as the 1980s, Texas was the mohair capital of the world. Who knew, right? Well, you would think it's um, counterintuitive it because it's so warm here, and you know, yeah. You, yeah. But it turns out to be a great climate for um, Angora goats mm -hmm. because mohair comes from Angora goats. So there used to be many, many, many ranches. And when I went to, with Ryan, my son, to Texas to meet the man who was their broker for this mohair, he took us around to see a few of the um, remaining ranches. There aren't many left now. And um, we met also a guy who has a warehouse, a huge warehouse. Again, one of what used to be many. Now it's probably the only one. Most of it's empty. 
But they, you know, he said, this is a guy, so I'm just going to tell a few anecdotal stories, because this guy who works in, and owns this warehouse um, also has a, a, a mohair goat ranch. And um, one of the problems with mohair goats, I think, or goats is they aren't good mothers. And that you really have to have a during kidding season, you have to have a lot of labor because you really have to be there while they're having babies and help the mothers to bond with their babies so that they will take care of them. And um, in the ranch, at the ranch, we actually saw like these little cubicles where they would put mother and baby um, in order to try and get them to know each other and, and make mother aware that she has this dog. I don't, you know, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's not very good evolutionary I, sort of <laughs> science. No, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. But, it, but it, it, as a result, though, um, but here is where politics comes in because what used to be um, there was a you know huge wave of Mexican labor that came over a very poor border and helped these ranchers and and provided the labor that they needed in order to to keep their operations viable and when all of the you know earlier when immigration problems happened and there was this pushback on immigration this really hurt the ranches as well as a number of other things as well um so one of the things that's happened to this land is that um they have put these hunting grounds on them. People create these huge ranches. They go to Africa and get exotic animals, mm. bring them over to what used to be a goat ranch, and then charge vast sums of money for people with a lot of money to come and shoot these animals. Mm. And this this one ranch I was on the goat ranch, um, we drove around this little pickup, and the guy kept a pair of binoculars right at his hip on the, on the seat. And um, whenever he, he would come up on like a ridge or something, and we would see these gorgeous African deer, which had escaped wow. from some other ranch turned hunting ground. And he said, you know, I could make so much money if I let people come in and shoot them. But he loves them, and they are extraordinary. And I do have pictures of those. No. <laughs> but, that would be um, lovely, yeah. So it, 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 there would be, I mean, it's just such a bizarre story, really, the whole yeah. Texas thing. And, um, um, but one of the sad things about other than just losing this land to these sort of wealthy hunting lodges is that one of the animals that they imported are boar from Africa that be they also escape and become predatory on these um goat babies. And um oh. during lambing season we'll just, you know, eat them. Um wow. all of them if if they have a chance. Mm-hmm. And they leave everything they leave the little hoofs and they leave the head and they eat everything. Oh my goodness. So this this was according to the guy who has this goat ranch and owns the warehouse. So those are my some of my goat stories. I'll stop there. Oh, that's okay. Mm-hmm. My husband grew up on a goat farm, so I'm used to goat stories. Um, <laughs> oh so <laughs> but in Texas. In Texas. No, in Australia. Um yeah, in Australia ah. where they wouldn't uh allow importing animals like that but anyway um <laughs> but yes continue. for good reason yes. for good reason <laughs> so yes. that's that's a sad story when we allow the things to happen yes. yeah um any so we started this yarn we spun it for a few runs here um we used texas merino as well and i love this yarn Sadly, we have just not been able to continue to spin it here because it requires combing. You have to use a comb. And there are only a couple of places that do it. And we were losing so much fiber mm. because the technology and the equipment just wasn't 
just wasn't up to par. So we now send it to South Africa. Um, but we still use the Texas fiber. And I'm just, just really hoping that at some point there will be enough of a resurgence in manufacturing here that we can, you know, someone will get an up to the minute comb so we can keep the fiber here. I still hope for that, but yeah. we want to continue the yarn and it's a matter of discontinuing it or finding a place in this world that can do it. Right. Now the South, you know, South Africa is the capital of the world and they have all of the state of the art equipment. Right, wow. And they can make beautiful yarn. Yeah, yeah. well, um, I know yeah. that sort of saving equipment and, and, you know, mills and, you know, you have all that history in Maine. Um, it's very similar to what was going on in the UK when I lived there and is still going on. I don't know if you've heard of John Arbin, yeah. but he collects, um, he does a lot of the spinning for different yarn companies as well as his own yarn. And in uh, Devon in the UK, and uh, he loves collecting uh old machinery and, um, getting it back up to standard and just making sure that all that history and all that equipment that works or has the potential to work yeah. isn't lost. So, yeah. um, I'm really glad that that's happening at least in these two places. And, um, because Britain and the U S once had all of this, um, all of this history and it were sort of powerhouses for, for these things. So, it's nice not to see them go to waste. Yeah, and it's it's an ongoing challenge because it's still a downward trend. And yes. We're losing. And what we lose, most of all, at first, you know, back when we started this, even before in the early 2000s when I got with what was going on, I was just heartbroken at how much equipment we were losing. We were mm. just literally putting in the dump if we weren't selling it to China. Yeah. Um, but now what I am, what's tragic really is that the expertise because it's an art to make yarn. It's not just a formula. Right. And the guys that used to be able to do this and just could look at a yarn and, and just really know what to do with it. And, you know, they're gone. Um, and they're going. And there's nobody coming up through. So it's, it's a constant challenge. I don't know. I really don't know. You know, at the beginning, I was so hopeful that we could sort of, not me alone, but that this country could somehow stabilize what was here. But I think until... We have, um, you know, more support through programs that really start apprenticing and making it worthwhile for young people and for young people to want to learn how to do this stuff. Right. I, you know, I don't know. It's, um, I, I know some mills that have, you know, are probably going to close small mills that should stay open. They do beautiful work. Mm. But the owners are getting older and they, you know, but they can't find anyone who wants to learn how to do this. Well, know? if anyone's and listening. Yeah. I bet you'd be surprised. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. How do you put that together? I don't know how you get the word out, but yeah. surely, you know, there are people that don't want to work in front of a computer screen all day and who would really love to learn something like this. Uh, same thing with dying, you know. And dying yarn. Yeah. And the people that really understood this are just really not around anymore. So, anyway, yes. don't be pressing, but it, it has been, it is still remaining a challenge, and that will be, you know, I'm, we just, Ryan, too, are very, very committed to trying to keep the yarn here, but it's it's just constant problems trying yeah. to keep suppliers. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I find it um, really interesting how you've been able to combine all your knowledge of wool and 
you know, the history of mills and, and all of that stuff with your creative side. And then also with running a business, um, you know, it's, I'm sure that there are a million people out there that can do beautiful things creatively, but it never comes to something as sort of, um, wonderful as quince because you can't, you know, do, do all the, all the parts of the thing and have a huge vision for it. And, um, so I'm, I'm so impressed by that. And, um, I read somewhere that somebody told you that, or, or that people have told you in the past, Oh, that's so cute. You run a, you run a yarn business. Um, and I get that yeah. myself too. <laughs> oh, knitting. <laughs> um, so yeah, just, I would, I'd be interested to know how, you, how you answer that or if you care or, um, if you've been able to, you know, um, if people ever do end up realizing just how much you've created. For the most part, I think people, people say to me, well, oh, that's cool. Where's your store? Mm. I thought you see. And so it, it's hard to imagine it as a business that isn't like a retail business or, mm-hmm. or, um, and, or to picture us as an artisanal yarn company, which I would love to be, but I really wanted to make a big company so I could buy a lot of wool and, yeah. and, um, you know, it's my, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge company, but I like to think that the, you know, everybody creating a demand for, Wool helps to keep those farms going, and the, um, so I wanted not to just be a small, but to be big. Um, we aren't huge, but we're a medium-sized business, and um, well, it is interesting. I don't know how I answer that question. I just kind of assume that I'm going to get. So where is your store? And that's usually what I get. And um, I just say, well, we don't really have a store, but what I like to tell people is. Um, we have a warehouse and we ship yarn all over the world. And in fact, we export yarn to Beijing. (laughs) That is like my favorite little factoid is that we um, export yarn to China. (laughs) There are two stores that that buy it there. So um, some of us is going in the other direction. Yes, that's great. And I just, I do want to say, you know, I have been very lucky and I started this company, and, and uh, Carrie Hogue, who I've been working with for a while, um, started it with me. I asked her to do that, and she um, did a lot of the, the art director part of it, and my son has been instrumental. And right, you know, the timing was just, was just perfect when we began. So I, you know, I just feel so fortunate that um, the stars aligned for me at this point in my life when, yeah. and when do I you... wanted to do this, because I never, yeah. Oh, I was just wondering if you think, you know, I'm sure that this is the case, but all of the sort of yarn industry jobs that you've had up to this point kind of led to this, uh, sort of prepares you for having quince. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't have done it off without that. You know, I was just kind of growing up in this business, starting, you know, at home, freelancing, and then getting the job as editor at Interweave. Knits, which was a huge step for me and four of the best years of my life. And it's wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah. And I mean, I started knitting around that time and I still have copies of um, Interweave that you edited. <laughs> and in fact, I wanted to ask you about um, your aesthetic while you were at Interweave, um, because I think it is very distinctive. And, um, and I know that you were still in Maine when you were editing and that they're based in Colorado. So did you fly for photo yeah. shoots or were they in Maine? Yeah. How did you work that? 
Well, I threw out um, I threw out sort of at the beginning of the cycle, but we did most of the shoots in Maine, and um, and so I was always um, stalking women that I thought were men who would I thought make good models. We tried not to use real models, but real people. Yeah. Um, so I was always looking, and um, and we, we shot everywhere around here. Um, so that, yeah, we did that a lot. I feel like there's a cafe that I would recognize instantly if I walked into it um, from a certain issue of, of the New Eve, but now I can't remember which one it is. But anyway, yeah, I can, I can totally see, um, even though it's a totally different um, sort of era and everything else, you can see uh, your fingerprints on, on those issues and those photo shoots for sure. Yeah. It, it was an interesting time and, and, um, you know, I'm happy to hear you say that because I think that's kind of where I found out that I had an aesthetic. And um, and I can remember for, before I got that job saying to my daughter, so do you think I can do this? But <laughs> I wasn't sure that I could. And she said, of course not. And, and it turned out not to be hard. It turned out just to be an awful lot of fun. So yeah. I, um, oh, I do want to ask you about your, your um, studies. You have a bachelor's degree in French and a master's in linguistics. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Right. Um, well, Lydia, my um, business partner, also has a master's degree in linguistics, um, and I have one in English. Uh-huh. And never in a million uh-huh. years did we think that we would be yeah, running a knitting exactly. magazine. <laughs> um, but I, I, know, also, I, <laughs> I also read that you had gotten those degrees hoping that you would travel and then you studied to be a nurse thinking that you'd be able to travel as well. Um, so Quince, I feel like maybe isn't, <laughs> isn't as useful for that aim, but I guess has your, has your sort of dream of what your day to day life would look like um, has it changed? Are you happy in Maine or do you, are you traveling or do you still hope to travel? Um, I, I, you know, I sort of lost the travel bug. That said, I went to, um, Scotland this past fall with my kids and my niece and fell in love with it. And I'm going back for three months. Wow. Um, so mid October to mid November. So I think, um, what I, what I love to do is hike. Mm. So now my goal is to just go places where I can hike, and I live in a place where I can hike by just getting in a car and driving a few minutes. So um, I have a lot of trails to hike just in the White Mountains, mm. and um, I'm going to do a lot of hiking in Scotland. But, um, I, you know, I, I don't have um, – I have done a lot of traveling, actually, in my life. And, I, you know, I again, I feel very lucky. I'm older, so I got to go to a lot of places before they had Starbucks. Yeah, you know, and they were different. And when I go to London now, it's like, where's the tea? And I, um, so I, I, um, you know, I have friends. I, um, I'll be in in London a little bit before I go to Scotland. And but I, um, now when I travel, I don't want to go to a city. I want to go to some place where it's sort of, and you know. I don't know if you've ever get to go to the Highlands in Scotland. Did you go there maybe when you were living in England? Yes, my husband's uh, parents are yeah. are Scottish. Yeah, so I've spent a lot of time there. Yeah. Oh, so you know, I mean, it's, I know. It's, yeah, it's not like it, and it's just extraordinarily beautiful. And I um I just haven't gotten my I didn't even begin to get myself of that. So 
places like that, the highlands. Sheep you know, everywhere. That's, that's where I live. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, Pam, thank you so much for um, chatting with me oh. today. And we usually say, oh, tell us uh, where we can find you. But I think everybody knows where they can find Quince, Quince and Co on Instagram, Facebook.com, all of those things. Um, and yeah, I hope people will continue to support uh, your business, which is doing such great things um, for the wool industry in this country. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Megan. I appreciate so much the ability to talk to you. Thank, thank you. you. files you know the drill by now it's in its third iteration this feature uh we're looking up different textile text files you get the joke there and woolen fiber words and checking out the etymology for your interest and for your ears mm-hmm. speaking of ears do you know what the phrase is uh this episode well i can see it written down here and i believe it is cloth ears correct your eyes are not made of cloth um <laughs> so cloth ear, if you describe someone as having cloth ears or being cloth eared uh what would you say they are they can't really hear you or they're not really listening to you mm-hmm. indeed and that phrase i thought was really interesting i didn't know this so this originates from lancashire which is a county in the north of england mm-hmm. and in particular it's uh, blackburn because during the Industrial Revolution, there was many uh, spinning mills and uh, cotton mills and uh, the weaving and all the, mach- uh, the machinery and the spinning machinery was incredibly loud, as you probably could imagine. I could. That one time we went to uh, visit John Arbon in his mm-hmm. mill, it was so loud that I could barely hear him tell me all the exciting facts about the machines. Well, there you go. Well, you can imagine in ye olden days mm-hmm. that um, there was not ear protectors, there was not health and safety. Oh, dear. And all these things. So it was very common that um, people just went deaf. Oh. Due to the sound of the noise and uh, just the buildup of cotton dust in the air, which mm. is quite unpleasant. Quite a lot of the people working in the mills could lip read. Because wow. that's the only way they could uh, really hear, well, yeah. you know, understand anyone. Mm. So cloth ears uh, derives from this, like a literal wow. cloth. Yeah, basically the cloth has deafened you. Which is uh, slightly depressing Oof. text files for this episode. Well, maybe it can make us think about getting clothes from places where people have not been deafened. Indeed, that is a very good end to text files, I think. (laughs) Top three. This is the part of the podcast where we pick a thing. A subject, I was going to say. That's why I said thing. Thing. (laughs) You've heard of things. (laughs) You've heard of things. We pick a type of thing and then we... List our top three of that thing. Get ready. 
We are taking inspiration from what we asked of you for the competition from last podcast, because uh, as you know, we often have giveaways mm-hmm. on the Pom Pom blog. So we asked you to list what your favorite stripey thing was. And we were so charmed by the comments you guys got in touch with that we have actually quite a few. We, have, we probably don't have to do all of them, but I was going through them and I just, I thought there were so many brilliant ones. Can I read them to you? Yes, I'd I, love I to. Yeah. Um, you're going to hear some paper rustling okay, there. Okay, okay. Because I took them from the screen onto some paper. Yes, I understand. <laughs> Screen grab. Screen grab. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. So Cassie says, sorry, I don't have everyone's surnames and so on, but you know who you are. Cassie says, my favorite stripe thing is a black and white awning over this little ice cream shop that has been in my hometown for as long as I remember. I like these stripes so much because it means it's warm enough for ice cream. I'm with people I love, grandma, sister, friends, and I'm about to have my absolute favorite food. This could oh, maybe only be topped while also wearing something stripey. As stripes are my favorite. Smiley face. Love it. Yes. <laughs> Stripey face. <laughs> um, let's see. Which one should I do next? There's too many. Okay. My favorite stripe thing. Sorry, this is Maria. She says, my favorite stripe thing is the early Drosophila melanogaster fruit fly embryo. I'm finishing up my doctorate in developmental biology and I'm studying how and why certain genes are expressed in stripes in the fly embryo. Wow. How these stripes tell the cells of the embryo where to move to form a fly. Knitting keeps me sane during grad school. Winky face. Wow. How that's cool really is that? That's so cool. Okay. Another thing. Shorter one. Sarah Shannon says, my fave, my current fave stripes. Brown trees, fruit pastel lollies. Good yes, choice. Good choice. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Liberty Day says, my favorite striped thing is a tiger. My nan was obsessed with them. She had tigers everywhere. Tiger plates, tiger pictures, tiger sculptures, tiger mugs, tiger clocks, toys, pajamas, even a tiger mural on her kitchen tiles above the oven. Even a photo of a tiger leaping off the tire cover on their Range Rover. Even a little tiger tattoo hidden just under the t-shirt line. Wow. My nan was absolutely wonderful and I now love tigers because they remind me of her and her love of them. Although my fondness for them is much more subtle than hers. Tiger nan, I love it. How good is that? It reminds me of my granny actually... Um, used to have a room in her house which she called the jungle room mm-hmm. which had many many plants and she had like blue tacked like plastic lizards to the walls <laughs> and had like zebra print chairs that's really good it was great um okay let's do two more that's mm-hmm. not good okay Whitney says goodness favorite striped thing at the moment it's just striped shirts I walk around looking like a cartoon robber all the time because I wear them so often <laughs> I can relate and we got any uh, favorites to finish off with well i really i feel like the others were a lot more in depth but for some reason this one just captured my imagination okay so last one amanda b says i love stripes but my favorite striped thing would have to be my cat miles he is a sweet loud goofy two-year-old gray tabby i love that little weirdo (laughs) we really do have the best (laughs) listeners (laughs) we really do and this reminds me of a cat anecdote I have. Yeah. This is of interest before we go into stripes. I feel like that would, that <laughs> phrase is something you say about your cat as well. Like, mm, a, weirdo. a little weirdo. Well, my mom's cat, Pushkin, is definitely a little weirdo. He's the closest thing I have to a cat at the moment. And he is one, but he's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and the semiotics of cat ownership is your... Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, anyway, so the other day I was at a friend's house and there was a cat in the vicinity. And somebody asked, where's the cat? And someone else said, oh, it's under my bum, meaning it was sitting under his chair. And I sang, under my bum, <laughs> the cat is sitting under the chair. Under, under my, my bum. bum. <laughs> That's good. Cat. Yeah, so it went on for a while. Um, but now I've got under my bum sort of just stuck in my head. 
<laughs> I, I love a good appropriated lyric. Um, yeah, that's that tickled me. Thank you. Good. You're very welcome. Thank you. I feel like we should just relive a pom fest memory, which I don't know if we've ever mentioned on the podcast because why would we? But um, when you are doing events, obviously you need to uh, have a large amount of change for the public to buy things, and obviously we need the change so the money can be exchanged. And when you sell a magazine which has the denomination of fifty p, you need to bring a lot of fifty p's. Change meaning yeah. coins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just I don't know. That might be clear. Shrapnel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> again, somewhere, guys, just stick around. <laughs> so, we had a bag, Lydia had a bag, which was full of all the change. This is great because this was a year ago, so it's all like. <laughs> the secu- but, like, also the security, like, oh, yeah. they carried in a big bag, eh? <laughs> Marked with a pound sign. <laughs> Wearing a stripy jumper at the same time. Hey. <laughs> what was that lady? Like a robber. <laughs> Cartoon robber. Um, and the bag was really heavy because it was full of cash. Uh, shrapnel, <laughs> coins, change. <laughs> 50p's. 50p's. And we used to sing, Could you be the heaviest bag in the world? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't get through that. And it was. It was a very heavy bag. It was bag. a very heavy bag. So it was quite a small bag, so it was very surprising <laughs> that it was so heavy. Um, and that's all you need to know about Pomfest if you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was quite a roundabout way to get to our top three. Oh, but... yeah, top three. <laughs> So, uh, would you like to start? Top three anecdotes from the past. Anyway, <laughs> I would love to start. I can start. Top three things that have happened. <laughs> okay, so top three stripy things we decided to do. Having asked that to you guys, um, we decided to ask it to ourselves. As well. mm-hmm. So, my top three stripy things are, at number three, beach huts. Very good. Um, I like beaches, mm-hmm. is the first point. Yeah. Second point is that I like stripes and colours. Mm-hmm. And for many people, stripes remind them of beachy, like more specifically like British seaside, you know, like deck chairs, beach balls, mm-hmm. beach huts. Um, and there's a stretch of beach huts not far from where I grew up in South Wales, which is particularly charming. And it just is very evocative to me of sunny, sunshiny, or even not sunshiny, just British coastline. It's all kind which of may rugged. not be yeah. sunshiny. And just with these like really fun pops of colour. Mm. And I like that the seaside kind of, in the UK anyway, most houses are painted pretty standard colours, or mm-hmm. they're just brick. But in the seaside, everything is stripy and fun and pastel colours. Yeah. And so I just like that beach huts kind of seem to, um, they are the concentrated version of seaside fun. Very good. I like that. So that's at number three. Mm-hmm. At number two is bees. <laughs> oh. Bees. bees! Why did I think of bees? I don't know. Oh, those bees. guys. Not those little weirdos. Right? <laughs> exactly. Bees are stripy. Uh, they are yellow and black. Two great shades to stripe. And uh, they're fuzzy. Not always fuzzy, actually, I guess. Anyway, they make honey. They pollinate things. Need to take care of the bees. I mm-hmm. recently downloaded a special app to um, help do a like national bee count. Oh, right. So that people can figure out how many bees we have and how the the bees are doing. That was going to be like... (laughs) A bee app. (laughs) bee app. I mean, it's basically a bee app, but yeah. It's It's um... called Bumble. Oh, wait. (laughs) Wait, this doesn't help save any bees. Um, Actually, yeah, if people are in the UK, I'll put a link to the app because I think, you know, you may have heard that bees are not doing so well overall. Yeah. We need them pretty badly to have crops um, and eat things. So bees are cool. Also, they make buzzing noises Mm -hmm. and they like flowers and I like flowers. So I feel like we have a lot in common. Cool. And at number one, I'm going to be 
sort of fairly predictable. I was like, should I put sweeties in? Because there's lots of stripy sweets I like. Uh, but I've gone for the stripy scarves that I made on my loom. Oh, <laughs> lovely. Because I have many striped wearables that I love. Um, stripes have always been a Lydia staple, mm-hmm. especially stripy leggings or trousers. But um, I don't know if I mentioned, but I started weaving a while ago. <laughs> Might have passed you by because I haven't really talked about it very much. Uh, but it weaving allowed a new dimension of stripes to happen in my life. For sure. And for that, I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Came to my life. I'm truly grateful. <laughs> so that's my top three stripey things. That's fab. Okay. Um, you know, we were joking about top three anecdotes. I realized my number three just leads into an anecdote, Brilliant. which is uh, somewhat connected. So number three is stripy tops. Yes. Now, a lot of people have mentioned stripy tops, but I have a particular stripy top that is just, it's just very like boxy and like comfy to wear. And it's just like a go-to. I feel it's like smart enough to wear if I want to be smart. It's just comfy enough to mm-hmm. be comfy. And this is leading to the anecdote. So Annie, midwife Annie, mm-hmm. who we're friends with, mm-hmm. she has the same top. We were like, cool. And then, because midwife Annie always has a lot of anecdotes, great stories. <laughs> she once told me this lo- very long, complicated story about how she was, when she was living in New York, it's like in the 80s, mm. and a friend of hers, a journalist, was going to interview Brian Eno. Mm. And there's much more levels to the story, which is fun and exciting. But basically, Annie got there and she was wearing the same t-shirt as Brian Eno. Mm. So, although I'm not wearing the same t-shirt as Brian Eno, I feel that by some connection. You're wearing the same t-shirt as someone who wore the same t-shirt as Brian Eno. Yeah, exactly. I love a bit of Brian That's Eno. That's pretty great. So, uh, my number two anecdote about... Anecdote dos. Yes, dos. Uh, I would have to say a quagga. Uh, bless you. Yeah. So a quagga is an extinct animal that oh. died in the 19th century, which is a subspecies of the zebra. Oh, and I think they're very beautiful and unusual, and it's a shame because now they're all dead. Um, but they looked a bit look, look well. They look a lot like a zebra, mm-hmm. maybe a bit softer in the face, like a little bit more horsey, like chill. Mm. And they have a stripy top half. When I say top half, like the head and the legs, and like the bits. Of... If it was a half man, half horse, that exactly. Would be a man. <laughs> <laughs> what are they called? Centaurs. Centaurs. <laughs> um, and then the rest of it kind of fades into brown. Yes. The like a optical illusion, like if your printers run out of ink when you're printing a zebra. Oh, cool. They're kind of a little bit like that. And I just think they're very unusual and beautiful. Aww. And you don't get to talk about quaggers very often, so yeah. I never heard of them. Yeah. And I once I asked my sister to surprise me when she was making me a drink and uh she gave me a glass of milk and said it was quagger milk. But that's <laughs> just the kind of bands I have with my sister. Kate's good. Kate's good. Well, I Full enjoyed edge. that very much. Number one, uh, after talk- you talking about the alarming rate that bees are disappearing, bees. Uh, my number one is lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because Anna mentions it in our article about like stripy things and the layers and stratas of mm. lasagna. And I just can't stop thinking of how great that she got lasagna into an article. <laughs> and I'm feeling a bit peckish. So, so lasagna. Shout out for lasagna. Lasagna is delicious. I make a veggie one that's broccoli lasagna. This is good. Yeah. It's a really good baked bean lasagna when I was in secondary school. Yes. That was always a good day when oh. you had that. My mum used to make shepherd's pie with baked beans in it. I can imagine that being a similar sort of thing. Well, guys. On that note. On that note. <laughs> on that note, it's time for tea. 
So thanks for coming along for the ride. We will, of course, be back next month with more news, reviews, tell and tell, X-Files. Yeah. Fun bits. Things we've made. Things we want to make. Uh, anecdotes we want to tell. And tell. <laughs> if you ever want to get in touch, of course, we've already said, there's a Ravelry forum, there's a blog where you can check out all the info about this podcast. You can get in touch via podcast at pompommag.com. That's our email address. Um, of course, we'd love to hear what you're up to. What you'd like to tell us. Mm-hmm. Anecdotes about t-shirts. And Brian Eno, also welcome. Very welcome. Alright, see you next month. Bye! Bye. Pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott, with lots of help from Eli Block, who created the original music for this show. For more Eli-related music, go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks as always to Megan Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly. And thanks also to the lovely Amy Ann Gale. Thanks to our interviewee, Pam Allen, and a big thank you to all you pom-pom buyers, subscribers, and listeners. You can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe to at our online shop, pompommag.com forward slash shop. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, and why not leave a review? Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com. And don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum. Under my bum, <laughs> the cat is sick.